All right, how are we tonight? Yeah? Good. Well, hey, if, if tonight is your first time, and I realize that we probably don't have any, we have two. We have two first-timers here tonight, but I'm thrilled you all here. Seriously, super excited for, for you guys to be a part of what we do on Sunday nights because I think we do our best to have a blast together and to do a lot of things that involve just you guys and you guys being with your friends and what, it's just important. Living life together is important. And so we're glad, I'm glad that you're here. Our leaders are glad that you're here. Your friends are glad you're here, and it's not the same place without you. So welcome. If this is not your first time and you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we are going through a series called Accuracy. And so we're asking these questions and we're looking at, do we have an accurate view of who God is, of what the Bible has to say, and then what the two have to say about the subjects that we're talking about? And so week one, we talked about who is God? Well, that's the question we were asking ourselves. And so we learned that God is omniscient, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-present. Last week, we looked at God and science. Like, do they complement or do they contradict each other? And so tonight, we're actually looking at how do we know, how can I trust that the Bible's real, that the Bible's true? Has anyone ever asked that question before? You ever asked, like, how do I know that I should believe in this? Good. I'm glad you guys are asking that question. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to, because these are questions that really make you come to the full grips, or have a grips on why you believe what you believe. Because I promise you, the older you get, the more important these questions get because the more you're gonna be questioned, the more you're gonna be asked and you need to be able to have a defense for why you believe what you believe. And so tonight we're asking this question, how can I believe the Bible? How do I know the Bible is true? And so from the very beginning, there's a lot of different directions we could take this, but I really want us to look at the prophecies and we're gonna camp out on the prophecies of Jesus for a little while tonight because I think this is a really big deal. I think the prophecies that we see in the scriptures are, are truly fascinating when you actually think about it. There's over 300 prophecies in the Bible that Jesus came to fulfill. And so when you think about that, and if you don't know prophecy, is a prophecy is something that was that's written long before it ever came true. It's a prediction that someone said that, hey, this is gonna happen years down the road from now. And then what we see in scripture is that Jesus came and fulfilled every single prophecy ever written. And so just to put this in perspective, just to give you an idea of what this looks like, I want you to think about what are the odds of someone coming and fulfilling just eight prophecies, like a random person, Someone just coming and saying, hey, this was written about me and I'm gonna just fulfill eight of these, all right? And so the eight that we're gonna actually look at are these. That the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. This was a prophecy that was given in Micah 2 or Micah verse, chapter five. That the Messiah would be traded for 30 pieces of silver. This is a prophecy that was given in Zechariah. That the Messiah would be clothed, his clothes would be gambled away. That his hands and feet would be pierced. That his bones would not be broken. That he'd be born in the tribe of Judah that he would be called from Egypt and that he'd be buried in a rich man's grave. These are the eight. And what I want you to know about these eight is that every single one of these can be verified outside of the Bible. Every single one of these can be, is documented in other texts, other, other sort of documents. And so it's not just that we have bought into this book saying that some magician came through the Middle East and like middle of nowhere that some like thousands of years ago and we just all bought into that. Like these recorded miracles, these prophecies that were fulfilled, are recorded in all sorts of other texts. And so like, it's proof, it's evidence. And so I want you to know that as we look at having an accurate view of how we know this is true, well, we can look at the prophecies and it's truly mind blowing when you think about this. And so what are the odds of one man just taking eight of these? And we know Jesus did 300 plus, but one man taking eight, historians, mathematicians put it out there and they said it's 10 to the 17th power. Where are my mathematicians? Where are my people, my mathletes out there? Anybody? Can y'all big 10 to the 17th power is? It's huge. Like literally it's more than my mind can comprehend. And so I had to put it like, 
someone else put a word picture out there, but it's literally one in 100 trillion. Those are the odds. And in my mind, I'm like, I can't even count those zeros. Like, if you put that, I wouldn't know what that meant. I was, I stop a million, like million, billion, uh, good luck. I failed that class. So a hundred trillion, that is freaking, ah, like, I, I, I don't have words for it. That is so many, like, this, the odds are not possible. Like, this is not realistic. But these are the odds of one man coming and fulfilling just eight, just eight. And we know Jesus did more than that. But this is a word, like a picture, that, a mental picture that I want you guys to paint. You guys know how big Texas is, right? Yeah. yeah. It's one of the biggest states in the entire country. You used to live there. Yeah. Now, I've spent a lot of time in Texas myself. Texas is massive. But we are going to fill the entire, like, imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine taking silver dollars, and we are going to fill the entire state of Texas with 100 trillion silver dollars. That'll cover every square inch, and then some. It'll, and I don't know how many feet that'll be, but it'll cover the entire state of Texas, and then some. And that's going to be 100 trillion silver coins. Imagine taking one of those coins and just putting a black, taking a Sharpie and just taking a black dot on it. And then you take the entire, all the coins in the state of Texas and we're going to mix them all up. Stir them all up. And so it could be buried underneath others. It could be in San Antonio and you're in, I don't know, it's North Dallas. Uh, you could be, you can be in El Paso and someone else can be in T- Tyler. Like, like, you don't know where this coin is. Like, it's all mixed up. And we're going to drop Lauren. We're going to drop Lauren right in the middle of Texas and we're going to blindfold Lauren and tell Lauren, hey, Lauren, you need to go find this. You need to go walk around the entire state of Texas. And when you're ready, when you feel like you have it, bend over and you're going to pick the lucky winner. Out of the entire state, what are the chances she's going to do it? Like one in 100 trillion are the actual chances. It is crazy. What if you're what? What if you're that smart? Literally, no one is that smart except for Jesus. Like, that is how crazy this, like, these prophecies are. And this is just, to put it in perspective, this is just eight. Just eight. Multiply that times 300, like, whatever that may be for that mathematical equation of Jesus fulfilling over 300 prophecies. Like, to me, knowing that is crazy. And so as we look at these, I want us to look at what, like, what some of these prophecies are. Why are some of these such a big deal? As we do that, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about one prophecy that was written 500 years before Christ. All right, so Daniel, do y'all know Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel was a prophet. Daniel wrote this prophecy 500 years before Jesus. And this is what he said. He said that there would be, one day there would be one empire. One empire that would rule and dominate the world. And their world at the time is not the world as full extent as it is today, but because we know explorers and did all that. But for the most part, that's, that's Europe, that's part of Asia. Like this one empire would dominate. And it's not, there would be a sudden end to this empire and that empire would then be split up into four empires. And those four empires would then split into two empires. That two, those two empires would be split into one empire. And under that one empire, the Messiah would be born. And so this is what we find. Is that this was written 500 years before Jesus was actually born. But 200 years later, so 300 years before Christ was ever born, the Alexander the Great ruled the world, like dominated society. Have y'all ever heard of Alexander the Great? Yes. You will study him in history, and if you haven't, you will. And Alexander the Great was an incredible military man. He was brilliant, and he truly dominated. But what you'll find is that Alexander the Great died at a really young age. He died at 32. And so once he died, like his empire almost came to an end. That one, like his empire is the, 
the, I don't know what the empire was called, but his empire like, came to an end and his four generals ended up taking it on. And so just like the prophecy said, there'd be one empire that'd be split into four. His four, his four generals took over the empire. Years go by, those four empires become two, two empires. Those four generals decide, hey, it's gonna be best if we just become two. Wars take place, whatever it is, but those four become two. And over time, those two empires become one, which we know as the Roman empire, right? Y'all heard of the Roman empire? It's, yeah, I mean, literally it continued to rule the rest of Europe and part of Asia for its existence. And we know that prophecy was fulfilled because we know that Jesus was born under the Roman empire. And so this literally baffles historians. Historians are just dumbfounded over this because they're like, how could Daniel have known? How could Daniel have written this 500 years ago? That four, that there'd be one, then it becomes four, then two, then one, and under the one, there's a Messiah. Like, this is what we find. But despite historians' doubts, despite their, like, like they're not under, they don't understand, they can record that 99.6% of the Bible can be corroborated with other historical documents. 99.6%, like, other historians can make accounts for everything written in Scripture can be also accounted for in other historical documents. That's huge. That is truly profound. And that's profound is because the Bible is the most accurate piece of written work to have ever been recorded. Don't know that? Like this Bible is literally more accurate than your, your science textbook. It's more accurate than your history textbook. It's more accurate than your math textbook of what we learn. Like this is with almost 100% accuracy, this can be everything that's recorded here can also be found in other historical documents, which is like dumbfounding to me because I don't like, my mind is so small. And, and I think about these things and I get questioned because like we will be questioned. You, as you continue to go through middle school and you go through high school, people will question you. Why, do you, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in the Bible? Like, that's just a bunch of make-up stories and make-believe stories. Factually, you can just tell them they're flat out wrong. You can say, you are so wrong. Not because it's about religion, but it's because historically, like this is not wrong. It is historically accurate. Like that's just part of it. But the other crazy part about this is that no book ever written has gone through as much scrutiny and is under much examination without being disproven. All the other books about religion or whatever that have been said like, this is true, has gone through intense, excuse me, gone through intense examination until they're disproven for whatever reason or another. But for thousands of years, this book has withstood the test of time. It has not been disproven. And so with that, I want us to think about more prophecies, all right? I want you to think about the virgin birth. I want you to think about the birthplace of Jesus. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem, yes. But here's the deal. Like, this is why the virgin birth is a big deal. Because of the virgin birth. Like, literally, the virgin birth is absolutely impossible if it weren't for God. And if you don't understand why that is, if you don't understand the big deal about a virgin birth, ask your mom. And, and if she won't tell you, you can ask your dad. And if your dad won't tell you, you can ask a friend, because I guarantee your friend at school will tell you why a virgin birth is a big deal. They'd be happy to. All right, but literally a virgin birth is not gonna happen for anybody at any time except for Jesus. Like that alone is enough. That's the crazy part about this one prophecy in itself that Jesus came to fulfill, that he came of a virgin. Prophecy number two is that he'd be born in Bethlehem. Have you ever thought about that Jesus wasn't, his parents weren't even from Bethlehem? Or like they weren't even living in Bethlehem at the time? Like that's crazy to me is like, okay, Rome gave a census. So they're doing a count for every single person living in their, their district. And so they all had to go to, to Bethlehem and they weren't even living there at the time. And so what are the odds that the pregnant woman that's literally about to give birth has to walk for days 
to Bethlehem for the sake of a census that would fulfill a prophecy. Like, that's no accident. That just doesn't happen. She rode a donkey. Joseph walked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom, disproven. Yes, Mary rode the donkey. Joseph walked to Bethlehem. Thank you so much. But another, ta- another prophecy I want you to think about, the crucifixion. We all are familiar with the crucifixion, right? Yes. Well, here's the crazy thing about the, pro- the crucifixion. That it was prophesied a thousand years before Jesus was actually cro- uh, died on the cross. A thousand years. But not only is that crazy, is that 500 years later was the first crucifixion. So people didn't even know what a crucifixion was until 500 years after Isaiah wrote it. So Isaiah is literally writing things that people have no clue what it's in reference to. Yet the crucifixion is, is outlined in great detail of what would that would entail and what that would be. Like that's a really, really big deal. And we know that Jesus did it. Historical documents tell us that. Not just like, you look at Rome. Rome documents Jesus crucifying. It is no accident. So how do we know the Bible is true? How, do we, how are we to believe that this book means all that we're supposed to believe it means? Well, simply like proof number one, if we're gonna do mathematical proofs, it's just the historical reliability and affirmation that Jesus did what was predicted of himself a thousand and hundreds and thousands of years earlier. Like that is the craziness of what t- takes place with these prophecies. Like I'd never thought about the big deal of prophecies until like prepping for this message. Prophecies to me were like, oh yeah, Jesus, like people said this thing and then Jesus came and did it and all is well in the world. But when you actually think about each and every prophecy and what they mean and how big of a deal it is that Jesus did it, it's astronomical, just like the illustration of Texas. Like that is, those are the odds of someone else coming and doing that. So it's nuts. Proof number two of how we can trust this book to be what we think it is and what it says it is, is that we can trust Jesus to be who he says he is. Like that's as simple as it gets. I don't wanna be complicated with you guys. We can trust this book because Jesus is who he says he's to be, or Jesus is who he says he is. And so there's one of two things that's true out of that. It's either Jesus is the Lord or he's a liar. And what do we see? And this is like, that's a big statement. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's Lord of none. And the Bible says he's Lord of all. And so if that's not true, he's a liar. And so tonight I'm telling you that he is Lord of all. And this is what we find in scripture. And it's different than all the other religions. And I want you to hear that too, is that all other religions, and we're gonna to get to this in a little bit, but Christianity is different than them all. And we're gonna look at why in just a little bit, but he's either Lord of all or he's Lord of none. And so this is what, why we can believe he is who he says he is. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He brings race, racial reconciliation. He establishes relationships over rules. We see him live a sinless life. He raises people from the dead. And ultimately he raises himself from the dead so that we can have life in him. Like that's our God, like that is it. And so knowing that, knowing that we can trust in Jesus to be who he says he is. And this is not only that, but we see it backed up time and time again through scripture, through people who like personally interacted with them, through people who like moved on, who didn't get experience him, but who were apostles. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament is that Jesus lives up to the hype. Jesus lives up to the hype of being the Messiah. Jesus lives up to the hype of, of being who he says he is as Lord. And this is what he, Jesus says word for word in John 14, six. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. Nobody. Like regardless of what religion you are, regardless of what you believe to be true, Jesus is just flat out saying, hey, I don't care what you believe because if it's not in me, you're not gonna have eternal life. You're not gonna have salvation. That's not enough. 
Peter then is on like literally giving a, a, a response. He's being interrogated by religious leaders in Acts. We see in Acts 4 that his response to these leaders is this. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Like there's no other name. Jesus, or Peter's literally responding to the, the religious leaders at the time saying, hey, I know that we believe in this Messiah and that he, we are told that he's coming, but there is no other name with Jesus. Like I've been with Jesus. The last three years I've been in ministry with Jesus. I've been living life with him. And Peter's life was radically changed by his experience with Jesus, by getting to spend time and knowing Jesus. And that's exactly what he does for you and me. And so Peter's just flat out saying, it's like, hey, there is no other name in which salvation can be granted except in the name of Jesus. Paul also confirms this. And this is the other crazy thing about what we see here. This book is written over a period of 1500 years by over 40 authors. And there is a central theme that runs through this entire book without much collaboration at all amongst these authors. And that is Jesus. That is Jesus' love for you, for love for me. And he does that through the gift of salvation. That literally the story of redemption starts from beginning to end. And so we see Paul say the exact same thing. He says, therefore God has highly exalted him being Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of, so the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Like every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Like we can trust Jesus to be who he says he is by not only his good works, by not only the miracles that he performed, by the prophecies that he fulfilled, but his word is enough. When you spend time with Jesus, you know that he's transformational, that he transforms our soul. And that is the crazy and the most incredible thing at all in one time. And so Jesus is it. He's the only thing that we're gonna get in this lifetime that will truly save us. And this is what our Bible's document for us. And so how do we know it's true? I mean, it's right here. And so maybe you're thinking, well, sure, I get that. I get Christians say that Christianity is gonna be real. But if you were to ask a Muslim, if you were to ask a Buddhist, if you were to ask a Hindu, they're gonna tell you the exact same thing about their religion, right? They're gonna say, well, I've got a book. And my book tells me about a God. And I promise you, it's gonna, they're gonna tell me that's legit. But here's the thing about all the religions that they all have this in common. Every single one of them is that they're all searching for God. Every single religion is searching for God. They may not call him God. They may call him gods or goddesses. They may have different ways of getting to him, but they are all searching for God. But at the end of the day, they're all trying to gain God's favor by his good works. That's the reality of of religion. That they, they, they have an idea, they have a mindset that they need to be somebody, that they need to do good, good enough works, that they need to live up to the expectations to earn their way to eternity. And that's different than Christianity because Christianity just totally wipes that clean. I mean, and this is what it is, is that instead of searching for God, Christianity is about God searching for us. Y'all get that? Instead of us searching for God, God's searching for us. Because when you look at Buddhists, Buddhists are all about enlightenment. Hindus are all about trying to be reincarnated. Muslims are trying to get to paradise. And they've been told that you need to do these things. You need to live this way in order to earn your salvation. And that is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about Jesus already taking that price, taking that work that we will never be good enough for to the cross. And so that's the difference. Like Christ did the work for us. And that's what our Bible teaches. Like our Bible teaches that that he is enough. Our Bible teaches that the prophecies that it is historically accurate, it teaches that there is, it'll never be contradicted and it'll never contradict itself. Our Bibles teach us that, that Jesus did what he said he did and that he is who he says he is. Like that is enough. 
And so if you're a Christian here tonight, like this is an important thing you need to be able to answer. Like, why do we believe this? How can we know this is true? Well, simply like the historical accuracy alone, the prophecies alone, the astronomical numbers of, of one in 100 trillion for eight prophecies, much less the 300 that Jesus fulfilled. Like that is, that's enough. That's the facts. And so when you're being questioned, if you're a Christian, I hope you can take that away with you and be like, wow, like I, I, I can have some grounding to this now. It's not just a book of stories. It's not just a book of, of a way to live a good life. This is a book that, is, that talks about life change. This is a book that talks about eternity. This is a book that talks about hope and purpose. And this is something we can believe in. And so the band's gonna come on up. And the question that I have for you tonight is the same question I've had for you guys the last three weeks. What do you believe is true? Because knowing truth is the greatest, most foundational thing you will ever experience in your entire life. And you have to come to an answer. What do you believe is true? What do you believe is true about the Bible? What do you believe is true about God? Because the way you view those is the way that you view eternity and your salvation. And so as you think about this, if you're a Christian, I hope that this is a good takeaway. But if you're not tonight, I just want to encourage, I hope this helps clarify some things. I hope this is something that you can say, man, I've never thought about the Bible in this way. I didn't know that it was actually historically accurate. I didn't know that there is science behind it. I didn't know that Jesus is who he actually said he is. I just thought it was a good book. Like this is legit, absolutely legit. And it will change your life every single day because it changes mine every single day. And I know God wants the same thing for you. And so I'm gonna pray for us, but I want you to ask this question. What is true? Because you have to answer that for the rest of your life. And there's no better time to be able to answer it than now, than today, because truth sets you free. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for, for your word. God, thank you for the truth that comes and, and knowing what you have to say for it, what you have to say and what you have to you do for us, God. God, thank you for just the time that we get to spend with you in, in your creation and your goodness. God, in the life that you desire for us. God, we can trust your word because you are who you say you are and that's enough. God, we love you and we, we truly do. We give you tonight and we give you our lives and we give you our, just everything we are. Um, we're humbled by you, God. Thank you. Amen.